Welcome to the Advisor Insight Podcast, where we provide informative, insightful content for financial planners to help you grow your business, your knowledge, and your client base. I'm your host, Andrew Sheena, and in today's episode, I'm really pleased to be speaking to Anne-Marie Atkins, who is Managing Partner of Financial Planning at Tilney. She's a fellow chartered and certified step advanced um, financial planner, and I would say that you are also multi-multi award winning. Very, very fortunate to catch you in an evening that you're not uh, out somewhere collecting an award. So um, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Andrew. That all sounds very glamorous. <laughs> but it seems that every time I um, go onto LinkedIn, I see there's another award you're winning, which is a reflection of how well you're doing and how well respected in the community, which is great to see. Thank you. So one of the topics that we thought would be an interesting one to touch on is dealing with high net worth clients and business owners. Obviously, for many advisors, seeking out those high net worth clients is a key objective. It's great for their business and it's it's great for their, I guess, technical skills as well. So to get us started, how did you initially build your business around working with high net worth clients and business owners? It's, um, it's an interesting one. It's something that's evolved over time. I've, I sort of came through the ranks and started to work at a financial planning practice where at, at that point, it was I didn't have a client base and I had to sort of sink or swim. And they put me in touch with an accountant. And at that point, I got the opportunity to spend a little bit of time in that accountant's office trying to unearth opportunities. And naturally, what most accountants tend to operate within the remit of is business owners and and their specialisms of working with business owners and my husband's got his own business and I wanted to understand what his P&L looked like you know I started to want to really understand the mechanics of of what's it beneath the planet and how things work who has responsibility for what so there was a natural um, lean on me to want to understand the structure of business and why businesses are structured in a certain way but then because of my financial planning background, to really pull it back in and understand where do I fit in that process? How can I help somebody have a superior outcome by actually collaborating more closely with the likes of the tax advisors, accountants, understanding actually some of the issues that a business might face or when it's right to maybe talk about different structures or adjusting things differently. And that's also brought me into dealing more with solicitors in a way that you know I might challenge certain aspects of the documentation of the infrastructure of maybe articles of association or if we're going to do something different how do we how do we look at that with a really open mind with myself a solicitor and accountant so that the client has this more flexible future that they can provide for themselves the family or succession right so it's definitely a much more collaborative relationship with all of the professional advisors that the client has and also, I think your, your perspective is very much focused on that individual and them as a business owner as well, not just them as a, a client that you're looking at for financial planning, but looking at their business and the cash flow and how that all ties together with their in individual finances. Yeah, a lot of the time, what you tend to find with clients is they'll look at things with blinkers on in a certain silo. So the business is one part of the life. What they do privately is another part. And they don't actually sometimes understand how the two interconnect and how you can make different decisions through maybe one option or another or create new ways to make decisions that's got an underlying benefit that might link to one of their objectives, 
which is generally around, around flexibility, tax, uh, access. And a lot of the time what I've found, and this is how I feel like I've changed over the years, is it's all about the language that you use. So the more you can understand and speak right. in the right language, then you know you can quickly move on and have more in-depth conversations that they understand. So that's that's been my journey, and it's one that I'm still on. I, I definitely am still learning on that journey. <laughs> um, and it's been really interesting. I think I can now be more directive and more challenging and, and identify opportunities and areas where we can add real benefit and, and explain them in really plain English because I've got the experience now to do that. Right. And do you think that working with more complex clients and obviously their, their professional advisors and maybe more technically demanding situations, is there a need to focus on your own developments there as well? Absolutely. I think going through you know what a client goes through if they're heading for potentially a business exit whether that be in two years five years or within six months or you meet them at the point of you know they've just exited there's lots of different ways to express how they can think about the change in their tax circumstances that might benefit them or the family I've I've done quite a lot of work with corporate finance and that's really been an area of uh, success for me over the last four to five years um, and one of those, you know, part of that is actually understanding the whole ethos around maybe why sometimes clients don't want to make a decision to sell and thinking about how we can use cash flow or come to them with ideas that might give them that confidence. Actually, it can meet with what I want or need. I had a conversation, it's about four years ago now, with a, a corporate finance guy who said, you know, this, this business is right to sell, but the, the client was really nervous to do so because... He just he loved the fact that he could he, his assets were classed as trading assets and they wouldn't be subject to tax on death. So he, he thought he might hold it in the end, although he was really not well at the time um, and it wasn't doing him any favours. And I was of the opinion, but but he can invest straight back into business relief, you know, mm-hmm. day one post-sale and the assets are immediately exempt from IHG. So, you know, you don't need, to, there are ways to talk to clients to educate them to give them some ideas, creative ideas or solutions that might actually still give them what they want and need. But I think sometimes we we don't get involved enough in that process or we don't use the right language that makes it sound less scary. Yeah, and I guess however big the client is, there's still so much value you can provide to them by giving them that right bit of advice or that right bit of information that they didn't know or they weren't aware of. And it can provide so much help to their individual situation and how they approach in life at that time. Yeah, I think what's interesting as well is obviously financial planners can only give advice on certain aspects of, of planning and accountants can give advice on certain aspects of planning. And then obviously legals can sit behind or alongside that or specialist tax advice. But really to get the, the best outcome working with an accountant who if they're considering limited company structures post-sale or potentially pre-sale with loans or different classes of shares, but actually understanding from a tax perspective with changes that are happening with corporation tax and dividend tax, how does that fit into the bigger picture of post-sale, let's say, of the tax and how they're going to draw their income and live their lifestyle, but also having more flexibility to pass on wealth? And I think that's where a really good, robust financial planner who almost acts like the conductor of an orchestra who knows when to pull on certain aspects of, of specialism, but also isn't afraid to challenge and say, well, I understand that that's a, an option, but actually if we look at this 
three, four, five years down the line, this is why it might not be the right solution. And, you know, that that has come, that's come to me with, with time, experience and confidence. You know, a number of years ago, I would have been less confident to be that challenging. But now I actually have this fundamental uh, view that I can see more broadly ahead and I can interlink things sooner. And you know where the pitfalls are and actually clients see that really quickly when you can explain it. Yeah, and I guess that comes from experience, doesn't it? From having different cases in different ways and working with people in not the same situation because every client's different, but you see the same maybe attitudes come up or the same preconceptions with clients or the same business situations or retirement issues. Absolutely. And one of the big things that I've noticed a huge shift in in the last sort of three to four years is pre-sale advice and you know making decisions pre any binding contract of sale if it's if it's larger amounts should families be thinking about utilizing transfer of shares into a discretionary trust possibly and if if they're not going to consider that the reasons why you know and making sure that we document and discount or say yes we want to go ahead with that but at least it's been discussed as an option so many times I get to a point where I get introduced to a client at the point where they're sold They don't actually need a lot of the wealth. They're worried about uh, flexibility, bloodline, family wealth, staying within the family. They don't like the thought of inheritance tax. And nobody's actually even spoken to them about possibilities of transfer of trading shares pre-sale. So so I've definitely learned from that. And that's something that I talk to all my clients about well in advance to just make sure that I'm using that language, that it's an expectation that we're going to definitely discuss this we won't make any decisions without deciding if it's something we should look at in, you know, in part and at least make sure that I'm communicating with the accountant too, that these are the things we're discussing and the solicitor. Yeah. And the, the phrase you used a few minutes ago was very interesting about the being the conductor of the orchestra. And you mentioned there the accountant and the solicitor. I guess you have to be very collaborative with them as a team because they're obviously existing advisors of of that client. So you've got to be very collaborative with them in terms of getting the best outcomes for the client and be working in a way that everyone trusts what everyone's doing. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time, you know, you take the role as the, well, I take the role as the conductor really seriously because I almost act act like a nagging PA because I'm, I'm making sure that I'm pushing everybody along because people can get very blinkered at certain points, especially if they're going through a transaction. And really it does need somebody who can cohesively pull things together and not allow something to to get to a point that that it's been overlooked. And I have had experiences of that and I've learned better actually by being more in control and being the person that takes the reins to say, right, well, I'll make sure I copy everybody in on the latest discussions where I feel that we're all up to and who's responsible for what. Um, I do that really well, actually. I'm crazily organised. But it, it's it's definitely pushed me into a different trajectory from the type of clients that I deal with and what clients expect from, from what we provide. It's almost acting like a, a mini family office, but not to the full extent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess having that working as a team rather than individually gives a, comes or provides better outcomes for those clients because... There's so many different perspectives all working in unison rather than looking at different parts of their business or their wealth in individual ways. Absolutely. And, and part of that unison is 
you know, if, if you've got a solicitor that's dealing with part of a strategy for exit that, you know, if we're, if we are making a, a consideration to maybe put shares into trust pre-sale and there are children involved and part of that might mean that they're living with a partner or they're engaged to be married or they are married, that we start to encourage them to speak around cohabitation agreements or pre and post nups. And within one practice, the solicitor's practice, for me, it would really make sure that the private client team, the family team and the corporate team are all working completely together as a, a one-stop shop effectively to provide all of all of that to the family. And then from an accounting point of view, there's tax clearly on potentially at, at sale. There's potential tax calculations on transfer of shares. And then there's the, the aftermath of that and how we construct what's required from an income perspective or if there's limited companies in different you know, interests, how they all get dealt with. So there's lots of cross uh, cross opportunity for all of us to do additional work, but actually to make sure that that client is completely looked after and they are getting the superior outcomes because I can't advise on everything, but if we're all doing it in isolation, we don't understand sometimes how it impacts each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the great thing with tax planning. As you know, obviously, when we used to do business together, I was doing uh, business property relief. And there's such a demonstrable benefit to clients when you can map out different options, given a tax situation, depending on what different courses of action are taken. So it's so valuable and so noticeably valuable to clients when you can do that for them. Yeah. And in today's environment, you know, if you can detail that and you go through the options and you decide on a specific set, you know, a course of action, what's in, what's good is that we can document that and safeguard ourselves that we've looked at a number of avenues and the reasons why we're taking a certain pathway is because of X. Um, you know, and I think with the culture, the blame culture that we all have to, you know, experience now, we do need to protect ourselves and make sure that we're opening the client's eyes to everything and being clear why we are not taking a certain course of action. And that's that's really important. And that's yeah. something I think solicitors probably think a little bit more on, but we all need to think more clearly how we document these areas. That's it. And I guess you have to be very clear on making, as you said, making sure that you've outlined all options and making sure that you've outlined to the client the pitfalls and the benefits for each option. And then, of course, it's down to them to make that decision based on based on your advice. But because you have to be so creative, given the whole plethora of different outcomes, it must be quite interesting for you because it's quite technically demanding looking at so many different scenarios. It's so um, interesting. I think you really get, once you've got involved in a number of interesting ones, you get a good feel exactly of you know, where it's going to go, what a client's appetite for risk is versus their views on tax. If other members of the family are involved, you can see how that weighs on certain individuals and you start to get more of a rounded view as to how far to go with, with the aspects of you know being more creative or maybe using more aggressive investment vehicles. And actually, I suppose using, you know, what I find brilliant is the use of cash flow analysis tools because we can put in catastrophic events that you know might suggest if you take a certain course of action and it doesn't go to plan, this is what the future could look like and how would you feel about that and actually you know being able to talk that through and see emotionally how they react and then adjust what you want to get out of that accordingly for, for their emotional uh, needs I think is is the key to getting it right and um, right. you know all of the emotional 
side and, and that aspect of planning does play quite a large part when somebody's put blood, sweat and tears into creating a future for themselves and their family. So they'll have certain very you know, strict views on, on certain aspects of either making gifts or tax or liquidity or risk. And you've got to, you do have to balance that out. Sometimes you might do that very early on, very straight out, but some clients it does take time and you have to take it on a step-by-step process and just allow it to keep being um, altered, evolved and updated. Sounds like it's very challenging for you. Um, But of course, as you get through more and more cases like that, you can approach them with a lot more confidence. And as you say, there's bits that you recognise that you know how to deal with. Yeah, and everything's a process as well. I think, you know, one of the great things about working alongside accountants when they're helping put together potentially different structures to use for different aspects of, of, of investment view and flexibility is, is the whole way that they can create an extra layer of flexibility or aligning future growth, not all growth, but part growth to certain individuals or a trust. And doing that all through a limited company structure, it's, you know, it's really brilliant because it can tie in so much so to what traditional financial planning can can be. But at the same time, being able to go back and to say, well, actually, um, you know, if you're not selling the business and you're holding too much cash, have we looked at corporate business, business relief strategies? Now, what else are we doing? How are we looking at cash extraction? Are we worried about business relief, uh, you know, IHT exemption? How is that? How are we discussing that with the client? Because what I can tell you here is that the client's concerned about it. So how do we pull that into these discussions? So I think you learn things from each other. Mm. And that's brilliant because it means that the client definitely has a more a trusted partnership that can really mean they're taking the whole concept of your life into a plan when they're giving you ideas and solutions. It's definitely interesting about the relationship that you have with the accountants as well, because there's come across quite a few advisory firms in the past who have been connected with accountants, but not really got much in the way of mutual relationships or referrals from them. And do you think that through the different cases that you've had, you maybe learn a bit more about their perspective on things and their perspective with clients and how you can resonate with them better to get those client referrals and to work on client cases together yeah I think definitely accountants want to see that you can add value to a to an individual's set of circumstances and if you can express things in a really clear and precise manner in a very you know in plain English that is, is not going to be misconstrued then you can win them over from that perspective because so many people talking jargon and clients really don't want jargon so I think the way that I've managed to excel myself in working with accountants is is taking the time to ask them questions and be more interested in what it is that they're doing and why and then being able to competently say well actually if we move this here and thought about it from that way that would work still with what what you're doing but it might potentially have this a, a superior outcome of x and I think it's just having that confidence to to drive that forward and, and personality is um, huge as well, isn't it? I think the ability to take that that time to get on and to, to get a point what, where somebody's trying to get to but very quickly. Yeah, I think accountants also, you know, people by people. And if you do what you say you're going to do, come up with some decent ideas, follow it up with a formal meeting note, 
you know, have a process to then chase through, express clear communication skills with the client and the individual, the accountant, then, then that's as simple as it needs to be to have success. Um, I mean, I've, I've got a bit of a personality and I tend to use that, you know, in, in meetings with accountants and clients and I'm, I'm a nosy person, you know, anyway. So that works brilliantly with my job. <laughs> and I, I guess that's a, a key thing as well. Don't be afraid to show your personality. As you said, people by people. And maybe when some people approach more complex cases or where there's professional advisors in place or where there's more high net worth clients in place, they feel they need to be professional, which is of course necessary, but it's important to show your personality as well. It definitely is. And, and, you know, a lot of clients are entrusting a very large part of their overall wealth to you. So it is important that they know you and they know your moral values and your ethics and that you're going to get back to them when you say, and you've got the team behind you to support what you've said you're going to do. So all of that plays into the bigger picture of, of it, definitely. And that's something I think I take very seriously in my role, um, personality and communications, one of the, you know, the, well, it's the two top things that I think I'm good at. Well, there's two, two good things to be good at. And obviously, as you say, it's, it comes through and people appreciate it. And it's something that sets you apart as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I know there are other people that do what I do. Um, you know, I suppose it's just the strength of relationships you build over time that, that brings them to greater fruition. So I just want to keep on pushing the boundaries and challenging things and learning new ways to interlink different aspects of planning so that I'm not standing still and that I'm understanding how over time things will change and progress and clients' investment views might become different over time. Obviously, through COVID, what we've seen is the SG's taken a massive step forward. But actually, I think that a lot of that has been amplified by COVID. You know, we took, we, the company that I work for, we believed greatly in that, you know, many, many years ago and have, and have been investing in that area more. So, but we are seeing more clients want to specialise uh, down that route. It's got more of a personal connection to them. And businesses, you know, being far more, thought provoking around sustainability and where certain aspects of their business is going and the underlying ethics attached to it. Yeah, it definitely seems like an area that's not just being given lip service to, it's actually being closely focused on and even clients are, are now focusing a lot more on invest significantly and make an impact. Absolutely. Client testimonials are hugely important in the type of work that I do and connecting you know, if, if I'm talking to a client that might come to work with us, connecting them to two or three different clients that we've done work for that are either been with us a short time or been with us a long time so they can talk through what that experience has been like, how we've worked with their accountant. It's, it's a really strong and fundamental um, like thing to have in your kit bag to go out and be able to say, I've got some fantastic client testimonials, especially if you can link sector to sector. So. Yeah. If a business owner is in one sector and they're in the same and if you've onboarded them and you've done different things, let them let them talk away and they might actually get some mutual benefit or contacts out of it too. So, yeah. you know, I've used that wholeheartedly with the bigger pitches as I've gone along and actually quoted client testimonials as part of an overall pitch to a client and, and given mobile numbers out with permission to be able to talk it through. So I think, you know, thinking... How you, can, how you can display 
the quality of what you do. Obviously, we can say it. I can say it as much as, as, as I can say it, but it's so much more meaningful to hear it from like-minded business owners mm. that are in the same sector. I guess that's the thing. The social proof is so powerful, especially when you're dealing with clients who are business owners and there's perhaps a, a bit more of a mutual understanding about each other's situations and how that might apply. It does give you a lot more strength in terms of how you can deliver for them. Yeah, social proof is a good one. I think reciprocity is also an important one mm. where you can offer um, some, you know, something that might benefit them or a contact or actually let me put together an example of a cash flow based on what you think because you know you probably need to visualize this to understand where I'm coming from and let me let me do that at our cost you know yeah. show that you're willing uh, to do something to engage with them I think you know that along with testimonials has, has been an area that I I use a lot yeah and I think as you say it's providing that value as a as a service provider to them, but providing a bit of value before they actually engage and sign up so they can they can see what you can do and they can get a feel for how you work. And also a lot of clients come to you and they've already got existing relationships with maybe some different investment managers and they're, they're not sure where they're going to go with certain things that, you know, so part of the role that we can provide as financial planners is, well, we can be the conduit to make sure we're pulling all of this information together from the different investment houses that you work with we can measure that data and that performance against an independent benchmark let's start to actually wrap some structure around what you're doing to make sure people are communicating with each other so again that's the conductor of the orchestra mm. not just being i'm dealing with an accountant or a solicitor but if there's different fund houses or relationships that are already in place that we want to retain what can we do to make that a better experience absolutely I often see that advisors are discussing how to deal with high net worth clients when they come up. And obviously, I'm asking you a difficult question because you've gone through many years of dealing with these types of cases. But if you were to give advice to an advisor who was maybe not so not so familiar with such clients and such cases, what advice would you give how to approach those types of situations and those types of clients? I think the most important thing when you you meet a client and clearly in the role that we play as financial planners is gathering data and understanding how we know our client. So part of that is pulling together an overall asset schedule and actually understanding if they've got business interests, how are they set up, what's the shareholding, and are there any connected parties, is there a holding company? Can you explain me, explain to me? why you've taken that route, who's your accountant, can you introduce me, can you give me authority to speak to them on your behalf so I can get this asset schedule absolutely perfect um, and then understand where the different income sources are coming from and the tax position. And, you know, if you can just structure that on one piece of paper and make it so straightforward for an individual, that's really the starting point that gives you all the different pathways or doorways to consider about where you can add some value. So it might be, you know, have you got, so you've got your business, you've got some key people, you've got different shareholders. What's your shareholders agreement? Is it an off the shelf? Is it bespoke? When was it last reviewed? Oh, is your solicitor, you know, is you, can you put me in touch with your solicitor so we can check this? It's just really dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But again, it comes back to the language and understanding right. what part, what part is there not an opportunity for us to learn something? Because for me, there's a part in everything, right from the infrastructure of how a business is set up, right to the way that we're looking at how they extract profits tax efficiently, whether that be 
you know, making pension contributions, sidling money off as a dividend to a different company, how all of that interlinks and why is really important. Um, and, and I do think it's not something you would know straight away coming into this market, but the more you can understand about how a business operate, a business owner's mind operates or their business operates as in structure and the legals that sit with it and how they can protect certain aspects of that and why it might be important to do so, that's really going to give you the foundation to build upon to then start you know, being more challenging with the accountant or saying, actually, you know, we've got some, we've got some investments here that are creating income that's taxable, part of it's dividend income, but yet you're taking huge dividends out of the business. So clearly the investment portfolio is not structured in the right way because we're creating taxable income potentially unnecessarily or thinking about, you know, spouses or thinking about children if they're not minor or use the use of trusts or interlinking dividends or loans between companies. There's lots of ways to think about how we can make it more flexible, but also raise our profile really, really quickly with yeah. somebody in that space. So really, I guess what I've taken from that is, is make sure you take the time, be a little bit demanding on that client to get the full understanding of their situation and a detailed understanding of the situation so that you can provide it in a in language that they understand and make and simplify it as much as possible. But then through having that, you can identify so many different ways how you could create value for them, many of which I guess they they probably won't be aware of or hadn't thought of. And by doing that, they can understand they can see where you're going to benefit. Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's to create a little bit of fear, you know, if they don't know the answer to a certain question and they should, because that's fundamental to if something were to happen for them and they're the breadwinner are going to pass on X, Y, and Z to family. You know, there can be very simple things, even just simple things such as have you nominated your death benefits appropriately? You know, have you got a lasting power of attorney? You're big into, let's say, cycling. What if you had an accident and were unable to, to access, you know, a lot of things that might sit in your name? Where does that leave you, your wife? You know, there's certain aspects and ways you can drive. And fear is not a great word, but it, it is it's those little moments of oh, I should know that or why why am I not doing that I really need to do that and again you've just you've just thrown something in that that's sort of invaluable really yeah absolutely I guess it's just triggering those uncertainties of the client that you can create certainty and create comfort from because those are uncomfortable situations that they're not because they're not aware of you're just demonstrating that you can take care of them and that you're putting them in a much better position from a lifestyle perspective and also you can reinforce if they've done some brilliant things, which clients love to know. So, <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. So so that's also a positive, isn't it? This yeah. is brilliant. That's part, you know, you've got that in place. That's, you know, you've, you've been doing things brilliantly. Or you, you've clearly not at the time. This is something we need to get in place now. It's just, it's just finding a way to make it sound uh, really good, if it's good or bad. Yeah. Well, I guess that, that's, that's another good point because, there's a tendency to want to demonstrate your value by pointing out things that aren't in a good place at the moment. But then telling someone that they've made a bad decision or a bad choice or a bad judgment isn't necessarily a great way to build a relationship with them. So you've got to find that right balance, haven't you? Yeah, you need to win them over. And, you know, gut instinct's a fabulous thing. It's something that I follow hugely. And you do get that vibe very quickly when you're working with these types of people 
just how direct they want you to be or or if you need to adjust your personality somewhat you know when to be a bit more gentle or when to actually be like no this is what we need to do but yeah I think um, we definitely need to think more broadly about reinforcing good things and finding a way to articulate potentially not bad things but areas of development that we could we could add something to Another point that you made, making sure that when you start these relationships with the professional connections and with the with the individual clients themselves, is to emphasize the importance of beginning the planning or the conversations early. Once someone has sold the business, there's a lot of options that are off the table. Absolutely. And again, they can get sort of hoodwinks into just focusing on the transaction. So education and knowledge way in advance of that is hugely important um, and that's something that I think it, we're all getting better at we're all getting better at the education piece now in our industry so I think it's 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 fundamental to at least have it on a gender point you understand that you're in this position now. if you're ever going to get to this point these are the things that we need to make sure we discuss and it's just ticked off on an agenda it's not gone into any more detail and then when things get moving along if they do it's not a shock that you're trying to introduce a new concept um, yeah. or that a potential buyer hasn't been made aware of at the very onset that it couldn't it might not just be the shareholders that they're buying the business from it could be a, the trustees of a trust as well so all just good practice yeah and do you think that helps reinforce the relationship as well because you're not just focusing on transactional here and now things you're talking about things in the future that are providing value to the to the client but not necessarily something that you're benefiting from uh, as an advisor straight away yeah there's a real feel good factor about that I think you know and part of this role for me is I need to feel like I'm doing something good for people you know I enjoy that and I think if you can come out of something and you look at where where they would potentially go into where they end up and just exactly how much you've added to that it's that's that's hugely rewarding and you know from a a feel-good factor personally. I, I take enjoyment out of that. I can imagine there's so much value to be had in the way that you're managing the whole process and the situation as the, the, uh, as the conductor provides so much value and benefit to, to all parties involved. So it's, it's great to see. Yeah, I've never tried to measure it, but I'm sure it's valuable. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people keep coming back, then it must be. Yeah. Is there anything that you think would be value that uh, maybe you'd like to throw in that we haven't already discussed? Well, I, I took it upon myself at the beginning of COVID, uh, just in case I didn't feel like I was going to be busy enough to do the uh, step, the advanced step certificate in advising family business. And, you know, you think you know certain aspects of how businesses operate, but I really enjoyed doing the study and the, the exam. And, and thankfully I passed and, you know, it opens your eyes up in different ways to think about how you need to think about collaboration when not to lead and when to sit back and I think constantly looking at the ways that we can challenge ourselves to educate ourselves more and evolve more in our industry to get that more superior outcome and and the precious time that people have got to reward it to allowing you to deal with their affairs I just I just say be open-minded don't stay doing what you've always done I think it's always important to keep moving forward and that's something that you know I'm I'm nearly 47 and I've been taking that seriously always so I think um, from that perspective we're never too old to still learn new tricks (laughs) 
absolutely. That's fantastic. And it's a great point to end on as well. It really demonstrates that there's so much, there's always more to, to learn and there's always more value to give that comes from that. Definitely. Well, thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for joining me. So many interesting points that you've gone through and that you've touched on. And I think it's going to be so much value to, to listeners. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks once again, Anne-Marie. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do share with your colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. If you have any feedback or any suggestions on what you'd like to hear on future episodes, please get in touch on andrew at advisorinsightpod.com. Thanks very much.